This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast with me, Johnny Hart. Each week I'm joined by Oanda Senior Market Analysts from around the world. And this week it's Craig Earlham in London. Uh, Good afternoon, Craig. How are you doing? I'm really good, mate. How are you? I'm pretty good, and it's been uh, quite a week, hasn't it? Global markets seeing gains not uh, achieved since the start of the pandemic because of this big news that we had earlier in the week that we are edging ever closer to a, a vaccine. Huge rises, particularly in certain sectors like travel and so on. But there should be a caveat with this, shouldn't there? This is the beginning of the beginning of the end, isn't it? Rather than the beginning of the end. And that the eight-day rally that we've seen has has run out of steam today. Is that because there's a bit of profit-taking or maybe a bit of caution? Uh, I mean, I guess it depends whose commentary you read. Uh, I think it's just a little bit of profit-taking, to be honest, because the moves that we're seeing today are very uh, minor in comparison. Uh, uh, we were also coming off the, a week before as well that was quite strong in terms of the stock market rally as well as we were discussing last week. So this is actually two incredibly strong weeks of gains. I think across Europe you're seeing kind of like 15 to 20% gains over the course of the last uh, two weeks and uh, you're seeing um, about 10 to 15% gains in the US indices as well. That's, that's, that's an extraordinary gain in, in a very short period of time. So there is clearly an enormous amount of optimism. We've seen this a lot over the course of the last three to six months, really. Anytime we see some positive progress on these vaccines, then the markets do get a lift. But I feel like this is very different because this kind of feels like this is the type of positive news that's going to lead to the announcement that it's available, uh, that people are going to start actually receiving the vaccine and they can start being produced on a on a massive scale. So, And, and I do feel like that it was that kind of optimism, that euphoria, the, the, the relief mm. even that it was like spread. it was like we'd almost won the war or certainly won the battle and uh, that rather overused word that we've had over the last few months game changer does seem to be particularly relevant uh, with this particular example from Pfizer but of course there are other vaccines out there and a lot of them following the same principle yeah it does feel like a game changer because it feels like this is the first of of a number to come uh, and the fact that it was more than 90% effective, obviously, is another huge plus point uh, as far as this concerned. There's still obviously the massive hurdles that still to come. They still need to get final approval. They need to can finish analysing all the data in more depth, uh, get peer um, analysis as well. Then, of course, there's the production issues with uh, with the fact that this is an entire global uh, population that needs to be vaccinated or at least 70% over the course of the next couple of years. So the the fact that they're not the only company nearing uh, nearing some results is obviously a good thing for the rest of us. And then there's obviously um, there's obviously the distribution as well. The fact that it needs to be stored at co- in cold storage, so that creates uh, logistical problems as well. And this is some of the things that people are alluding to and they're saying maybe that's why the market rallies run out of steam is because from from final approval to production to distribution, there's still uh, a number of challenges that await. But I, I, like I say, we've seen extraordinary gains. Of over the course of the last two weeks so we shouldn't read too much into the fact that people are taking a little a little bit of cash off the table and then on top of that we've potentially got some really good news still to come this year as you mentioned we've got Moderna who whose uh, technology uh, with regards to their vaccine is is similar we've got uh, AstraZeneca and Oxford which I know there was the 
they brief pause uh, a, few, a month or two ago, uh, but that that's making really good, that, that that's been making really good progress up until now. There's things like GSK as well. There's so there's a number of different vaccine prospects. So if this is the first of two or three different vaccines in the next month that gets that produce kind of similar results, then all of a sudden 2021 starts to look very different. We're still looking at the middle of 2021 till we start to return to life as normal. But to be honest, seven months doesn't feel that far away at this point, considering uh, what kind of a year it's been so i think we could really end this year on a high we could end this year with some really good news going into 2021 feeling much more optimistic and like i said i think it's that kind of relief that you know when you get a real build-up of all this stress and tension and strain and bad news and pessimism and then it all just it all just leaves and it feels like that's what's kind of happened in these markets right now everyone's just kind of collectively just gone oh and it's just this kind of big relief uh, in the markets. So I'm still quite optimistic. Like I say, if we do see a pair of a few of these gains, so be it. It's no big deal. These are big gains that we've seen so far. I think the other important aspect as well is that what we're seeing is kind of the great rotation, as it's being referred to, the move away from pandemic-proof stocks and into your more traditional companies, the ones who've been absolutely decimated by the pandemic. We're talking tourism-related, so airlines we're talking. Um, the- Oil as well. Oil, of course, yeah, yeah. That, that that's a, that's another that's another one where we've seen it decimated over the course of this year. Where we're seeing a rotation into. There's a lot of value now in some of these uh, hospitality. Uh, there's there's a number of different sectors that have been absolutely ravaged by this uh, coronavirus crisis, and now we're seeing m- money flow back into there because all of a sudden there's opportunity. Because if we can be back to life as normal in the middle of next year then things start to look up for these companies um uh, and especially if these government if the governments continue to support them and their employees in the interim then all of a sudden you're looking at an outlook which is far better than the outlooks we've talked about for three six nine months yeah it's been uh, quite a week actually it's wonderful to see the optimism around and uh that was reflected, I suppose, in, uh, you mentioned the sectors. Oil prices are up, of course. Gold is down, which isn't really uh, very surprising. And, of course, all this on the back of the news from the US election last week, and we had Ed Moyer from New York on, of course, uh, your compatriot uh, from the USA, and uh, there was quite a lot of positivity around, partially because um, the uncertainty was starting to ebb, and also the fact that the Senate was going to be uh, maybe a Republican Senate, and uh, there wouldn't be so much tax rises. Uh, there'd still be spending. So we've got that double whammy of uh, supposedly positive news uh, from both sides. Uh, and the only thing about that is that nothing much has changed over the last week as far as the U.S. elections is concerned, Craig. And it's, it's sort of a a sort of stalemate, even though everybody's assuming that Joe Biden is going to be and is the US president-elect. But we've got, you know, recounts in Georgia. Maybe it's just a matter of process, but it is holding things up a bit, isn't it? Yeah, and obviously when you when you want, when you get to politics, you do want to be sensitive to the fact that, um, that there's going to be massively different views on what's happened over the course of the last couple of weeks there. So the the recounts that people are expecting a lot from historically haven't really produced uh, an enormous amount of difference. Uh, But obviously George is uh, committed to a recount that's going to take around two weeks, I believe, um, because of how slow the process is. So we could be waiting a couple of weeks for results there. I imagine that's going to be one of a number of different recounts. So we're going to be waiting a lot longer yet. And of course, um, Joe Biden hasn't been officially um, um, 
awarded the kind of presidency. He hasn't he hasn't officially uh, won the presidential election, although every, all the all the numbers you see suggest that it's that it is uh, done and dusted. But like I say, this is politics, so therefore you've got to take um, you've got to take that with what it is. The Senate race obviously was extremely important, and that while it is still close, the, it does look like the the Democrats are going to not get the seats that they wanted in the mm. uh, in the Senate. So therefore, yes, it kind of produced this status quo. And as I said earlier, the markets did rally last week. And it's not because necessarily they prefer Joe Biden as president to Donald Trump. We saw what the stock markets did under Donald Trump. It's simply a reflection of the fact that they didn't think, given the gaps, given the the the... Uh, the way the way they moved the number of seats that Joe Biden had already uh, accumulated, they didn't think that any challenges was going to drastically change anything. So the uncertainty factor wasn't going to be a, a case, and the Senate kind of backed that up. What's really interesting is the other areas of the markets where we are seeing these moves. Like you said earlier, oil prices we've seen extraordinary gains again in the course of the last uh, seven trading sessions. You've got WTIs up twenty eight percent. Uh, I mean that, that that's that's a remark, remarkable move, and that's partially started last week when we saw that uh, that optimism running through the the markets, but it really accelerated quite dramatically this week. But you look somewhere and you you talking about the oil stocks earlier, like this is a sector that's been absolutely again devastated by the coronavirus crisis a huge drop in demand and we've got to remember earlier this year just as we were seeing an oil price war starting between saudi arabia and russia mm. so the, the, the this is incredibly good news as far as that's concerned from the uh, kind of medium to longer term demand um perspective but at the same time what's really helped the move in oil is the fact that we had the saudi energy minister uh, abdulaziz bin salman who uh, suggested earlier this week as well that uh, uh, that the that the OPEC plus alliance is open uh, and willing to tweak uh, the the timeline uh, as far as the uh, the production cuts is concerned. So until now, the the plan has been to uh, increase production by two million barrels a day in January. So the cut currently stands that it was agreed earlier this year. The cut currently stands at seven point seven million barrels a day. So the the idea was to reduce that in January to 5.7 million barrels, and there's been a lot of speculation about whether that'll be the case. We've had uh, Ben Salman previously suggesting that basically that the people, if they short this market, they'll they're going to get hurt as a result because they stand ready and willing to do something. And he said this week that they may tweak it more than even market than even analysts are expecting so all of a sudden you've got this kind of double whammy of positive factors you've got near-term supply factors which are positive because we've got the prospect of these uh, production increases being pushed further down the road and, and and on top of that you've then got obviously the medium and longer term demand dynamics as well which has been bullish so we've had a massive surge in oil back to a kind of two two month highs and it, it looks as though it could potentially even rise that little bit higher if OPEC plus do follow through in three weeks time uh, when they hold their next meeting and then you move on to gold uh, and gold like like you said, it's not necessarily always surprising when you see a massive, a massively bullish thing for markets have a massive negative impact on gold. But we have to remember that for the last eight months, gold has been quite well correlated with risk assets, not safe havens. Uh, and because the dollar has been perceived as a stronger safe haven, and therefore we've seen gold actually suffer when uh, we've seen periods of risk aversion. We've seen gold do well when the stock markets have done well. So that kind of reversed completely, turned on its head earlier this week. The reason being that when you did see these coronavirus announcements, it was U.S. Treasury yields that rose. Obviously, if you, the, the sooner we get this vaccine, the sooner we can get the economy back on track, the sooner life to, can return to normal, and the better the economic outlook. 
uh, the, the, the higher the yields that we are going to see. So the fact that we saw U.S. Treasury yields rising uh, and uh, that lifted the U.S. dollar as well, that actually was a massive drag. So as stock markets were gaining 4 or 5% on Monday, gold was actually losing 4 or 5%, completely dislocating from that relationship which had held firm over the course of the last eight months and testing the 1850, 1860 levels. So now gold today is up just shy of 1%. Worth noting, we're recording this on Thursday, um, but it's looking a little bit vulnerable um, because it seems that with this vaccine news, more positive vaccine news, looks as though it's going to be really bad for gold. And we could potentially get a lot more good news uh, in the weeks to come. And I was just thinking, uh, Craig, we're edging towards the end of the year. And I'm not sure how we're going to pack it all in when we do our review of the year. Because, <laughs> you know, we talk about the oil price. But, you know, those days when there was negative, uh, negative oil prices. It feels and, a lifetime uh, ago. I mean, it does, doesn't it? I mean, that was just, you know, a small part of the story. But it was so extraordinary at the time. I think we're going to need more than one show uh, to have a look back. Uh, it, it's just, it's got to be the most extraordinary year we've ever known really uh in in our sort of modern world since since the war of course so i'm looking forward to that and we'll, we'll have to get the whole team on let's talk about the uk economy and um we've had some uh, gdp figures out today and there's a big bounce back well it looks big on paper doesn't it a record 15 and a half percent between july and september according to the office for national statistics but of course, the country's economy is still just over eight percent smaller than before when the virus struck. And with, if, if, you, if you consider the period after the general election here, when again there was quite a lot of optimism, markets were buoyant, uh, there was a big majority for the government that removed the uncertainty there. But then everything went um, uh, south after that. But yeah, we're eight percent smaller than before the virus struck, and also September's growth, one point one percent weaker than in previous months. So. Analysts likely to say, to say that it will shrink again the final three months of the year because of the impact of uh, recent restrictions. Yeah, it's always harder to compare the uh, GDP data when you're not looking for trends because not typically you're looking for trends, but because the way the, the world is right now, you're not seeing any form of trends. Things change from month to month, so therefore you do see a massive contraction figure in Q2 followed by a massive growth figure in Q3 followed by a massive contraction figure in Q4 and growth again in Q in Q1 next year. That that seems to be where we're heading for. And as you say, 15.5% growth in Q3 sounds great until you compare it to 19.8% contraction in Q2. And then just obviously for a bit of perspective, if you if you contract 20% in one quarter, then just to return to the levels of growth that you were at before, you need to grow by 25% again um, from the from the second quarter to the third quarter just to get back to zero because you've lost 20% previously so 15.5% all of a sudden doesn't actually sound that great which is why you end up with that end figure of the economy being uh, more than 8% smaller than it was back in uh, January. And I think the ONS was also keen to stress that this is historically an extraordinarily difficult time to be collecting GDP data because the way the, way the surveys are conducted. So um, so the, you have to allow for error uh, as mm. far as that's concerned and it's probably going to be subject to some significant revisions. There was also stress that, uh, that yes, because we're now in lockdown again, 
it is you are already seeing signs looking at the PMIs for example the economy has started to turn south again in October and early November uh, we also had the, the September period was not as good for the hospitality industry because we in August we had the help out to eat out eat out to help out scheme uh, uh, and that gave August a massive boost but obviously that didn't then carry over into September and October as well so it's it's really stop start um, uh, the, the, this data there is encouraging signs but unfortunately Unfortunately, without this lockdown, I'd be far more encouraged than I am with it because it feels like you're just starting again. It's kind of one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. The also, promising- also, of course, the extension of the furlough all the way to the end of March, which we did um, touch on, didn't we? Uh, That's massive. Uh, uh, last week, because that will also have an effect on you know the sentiment and, of course, growth in Q1. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a shame that the government didn't come to the conclusion earlier that it was worth leaving it in place for businesses yeah. that were mm. forced to close. And you have to you have to wonder, and you could see from the unemployment data earlier this week, actually, we saw unemployment actually jump to, I think it was 4.8%. Uh, and you can see from the data, thousands and thousands of jobs uh, that have been lost over the course of the last few months. You have to wonder how many of those could have been saved, how many of those were unviable jobs uh, which would have been lost regardless and how many of those were viable jobs that were lost because of the end of the furlough scheme Uh, and that's the unfortunate thing that comes from being yes flexibility is good in policy making but we need companies need guidance when you're managing staff making tough decisions you need to be able to see into the future to a certain extent and the way the government um, changed the furlough scheme stopped the furlough scheme brought in a new support scheme and then cancelled that immediately, replaced with the furlough scheme and went into lockdown again. That gave businesses no time uh, to plan and the cost is going to have been uh, unemployment. But again, the unemployment data is is always uh, going to be up for revision as well and we're going to see big changes. The good thing is because of the new furlough scheme, and it is a game changer because now they've committed to it till the end of March, you're now looking at a situation where they're committed to the furlough scheme up until a point when the vaccine is going to be starting to make its way through the system, when it is going to start making its way through the country. And slowly but surely, we are going to be returning to life as normal. That's something businesses can plan for. Yeah. And therefore, that's a completely different situation to the furlough scheme ending in October. And the government may be even tempted to extend it then by two or three more months, just to see us through to ensure that all of the efforts all of the cash that's been spent hasn't been wasted and that people aren't going to become unemployed anyway so that's something that businesses can very much work to so i'm glad that the government has continued to commit to that uh, up until the end of march and hopefully there's a lot of businesses who won't be relying on it who will be able to reopen because they're not being forced to shut in the interim so the bill uh, also won't be as large but then obviously that brings you back to the question which i'm sure we're going to come to now which is mm. how do you pay for that bill yeah you've just taken the words out of my mouth yes uh, how are we going to claw back all this money i mean hundreds and hundreds of billions of pounds and of course uh, uh, some people listening to this podcast may have choked on their cornflakes a bit this morning because uh, it seems after this report very likely that capital gains tax is going to be brought in line with uh, income tax. And there are other plans, things like scrapping duty-free shopping as well. Um, the chances, you know, it's it's never going to be popular bring, bringing taxes uh, further higher and into line with, with income tax. But I suppose it doesn't affect uh, that many people. He can't really raise income tax at the lower levels. So just do it for the people who've got second homes and so on. 
Yeah, so the, the capital gains tax. It is worth noting that Rishi Sunak did say that this was a report that was commissioned. It doesn't mean that there's anything that they are committed to. But countries around the world are going to have to look at ways to try and bring, the, bring their debt levels down. Luckily, it doesn't have to be immediate because in the interim, there's thankfully a lot of people out there with money that are willing to lend to the the, the treasury at negative interest rates and there's a there's a nice bank uh, nearby that's willing to scoop up 150 billion of debt next year from the set on the secondary market and, and keep hold of that tight and pay a pay a nice premium for it so the the government is able to borrow money in the interim to tie them over at extremely low or negative levels of interest so it's not an immediate thing that has to come into play but at some point in the future we are going to have to pay this off and it is going to raise the question of where these tax hikes going to come and i think a target for them and clearly what they're looking at with these capital gains changes is get look either loopholes in the market where people are being able to pay less tax uh, than other people because they're they're utilizing the system in order to effectively pay themselves uh, pay themselves as capital gains so that their tax rate is lower 10 or 20 percent rather than 20 to 45 percent uh, but also, uh, like you say, target areas where there are other loopholes so that people can lower their taxes. And I think this is just one area. And I think we're going to see a lot more research done into this because tax hikes are inevitable. Mm. We, there was a lot of uh, trimming of the fat uh, after the global financial crisis. And I'm sure most people agree that they went too far uh, in, in, uh, with regards to, to doing that. So the, the, the Boris Johnson or whoever the next prime minister is who's going to be tasked with um, with trying to bring those debt levels down. There isn't going to be much room for manoeuvre on that side. So therefore, tax hikes and growth and inflation is the only ways that we are going to do that. And you imagine that the government is going to be forced to try and combat it with a, a, almost a combination of the three. So this is just one area. Um, and I don't think it's the least ridiculous, if I'm honest, but it'll be interesting to see what other areas they're looking at as well. Yeah. Um, before we let you go, Craig, and by the way, it's been an absolutely fascinating uh, conversation today. Uh, what should we look out over the next seven days or so before we speak again? So the, the economic calendar itself is... Um, it's full of tier three data, so kind of low impact figures. Actually, to be honest, it's worth noting again, I know I said this earlier, but we're recording this on Thursday and it's about an hour because um, Johnny kindly uh, agreed to record this a day earlier because I'm actually not uh, around tomorrow. But uh, so we're recording this just before we see a panel discussion with Fed Chair Jerome Powell, ECB President Christine Lagarde, and Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey. So It'll be typical, given the timing of this recording, if by the time it goes out, that they've said something that's going to massively shake up these markets. I'd be surprised, considering these panel discussions don't typically tend to be um, the place in which any surprise announcements are made. But we've got to remember the Bank of England last week announced $150 billion of extra QE. Um, the ECB and Federal Reserve in the last two weeks have both refrained from doing so at this point in time. The Fed, obviously, the, the election having a lot to do with it, but both of them released new economic forecasts in December. So typically that's when you're going to see big policy changes. So I think a lot of people are going to be looking for hints on that side. Um, I'm not convinced whether we'll get them or not, but we'll, we will see. So that will come out after recording the podcast, but probably before people listen to this. But like I say, there's a lot of low tier data as far as next week is concerned. So I think the major political story is the election. 
obviously and um, maybe more maybe more on the covid side as well maybe not even good things though because obviously we'd love to see more vaccine use but the reality of the situation is it's not something that we can bank on at this point but one thing we can bank on is the fact that, that unfortunately case numbers hospitalization numbers and uh, unfortunately deaths not just in the uk but across europe and even the us uh, and others uh, are rapidly on the rise so i wonder if we're going to see that come back to the fore now that we see less election noise now that we see the 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 kind of dust settling on the pfizer announcement unless we get more vaccine news then maybe we could see a little bit more uh, of that because like i say apart from that it's a relatively quite weak we've got us retail sales for example so that's obviously going to be of note that's on that's on Tuesday. Uh, we've got Aussie employment uh, and like things like Philly Fed job, jobless claims on Thursday. But like I say, it's pretty low tier data. UK retail sales Thursday again, low tier, uh, low medium tier data. So uh, I'd be keeping an eye on the on the broader political and um, COVID related stories as far as next week is concerned. Okay. Great stuff. Enjoy your day off, Craig. I'm sure you deserve it after some uh, very, very late nights and uh, early mornings over the last uh, couple of weeks. Crazy times, but fascinating nonetheless. And we'll speak to you again in a week's time. Thanks a lot. Have a lovely weekend, everyone. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.